Columbia University's annual Kit Film Noir Festival presents Into the Night, a retrospective of 12 films adapted from the work of mystery writer Cornell Woolrich. The festival runs March 27th to the 31st and includes films by Hitchcock, Truffaut, Jacques Turner, and more. Visit arts.columbia.edu slash noir for details. Kim Stim and the Beijing Contemporary Art Foundation are proud to present An Elephant Sitting Still from director Hu Bo, winner of the Critics' Prize at the 2018 Berlin International Film Festival. A New York Times critic's pick, A.O. Scott hails the film as an act of solemn, disciplined, and passionate protest. Now playing at the Film Society of Lincoln Center and at the Quad Cinema starting March 15th. Welcome to the Film Comment Podcast. I'm Nicholas Rapold, the Editor-in-Chief of Film Comment. A few years ago, director Laszlo Nemes had one of the most stunning debuts in recent memory with the devastating Son of Soul. The film managed to win prizes both at Cannes and at the Academy Awards with its immersive story of a Nazi prison camp. That made Nemes's second feature, Sunset, a source of great curiosity and anticipation, and the director did not disappoint. Using equally virtuosic filmmaking, he plunges us into an enigmatic and haunting story set in early 20th century Budapest, a bastion of high civilization, but with deeply sinister undertones. Sunset opened this year's edition of Film Comment Selects, and later Nemes did a Film Comment talk at the Film Society of Lincoln Center. He discussed his philosophy of filmmaking and the challenges of portraying history without cliches. He even dropped hints about the sort of offers he received after his Oscar win. Let's go to the conversation, which was recorded in front of a live audience. So I I thought, uh, you know, I I was just trying to give a bit of a background to Sunset. I I mean, just to give a bit of a summary, it's, it's, it's a film that's that is very attached to the perspective of one woman, a young woman who is kind of coming back to Budapest, where she originally grew up and her family had a department store style hat store, just very luxurious. Um, so she's at once an outsider, but also a bit of an insider. So it's kind of an interesting situation. Um, I mean, how did you choose that as, as you know, your, your, your entry point into this world? You know, what was important to you about, about that moment and, and that particular perspective? Well, I guess uh, outsider, insider, I, I can relate to that. I, I feel very, very close to, uh, in my personal history to, uh, um, to that position, which is, you know, being a little bit of foreigner in their, you know, in his own land. Uh, I have, um, I had a grandmother who uh, who was my link when I when I when I was adolescent to to the to the twentieth century, and uh, she told me stories about. Uh, well, she I guess she had to endure the uh, the entire uh, century and the the hardships of the century uh, of that region of those times. In her, you know, in her, in her life, in her, uh, in her body, in a way, in her soul. Uh, so I guess I, I was very interested in those, you know, 
you know, stories. And, and it was a very limited point of view. And I guess that the fact that it was uh, the, the point of view of someone who didn't have much, um, you know, a lot of possibilities. She had, you know, possibilities to choose, but most of the time it was between bad, you know, bad op a bad option, another bad option. And I guess that was the, the 20th century uh, for a lot of people in Central Europe. And I guess that, I, that, that, that was very appealing for me and very interesting. And, 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 and that's how you know, in retrospect, I, I'm not, I didn't analyze it before, but in retrospect, mm -hmm. I tried to understand why I was so interested in the, yeah. in these times. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a very, it's kind of an ambitious subject to pick, uh, you know, a city just on that moment. Um, and, and, uh, you know, you have to say that Son of Soul was also a very ambitious start. I mean, what, what do you think just looking back at, at that, you know, <laughs> beginning with Son of Souls as a first feature, um, how, how did you feel, you know, the, the, the kind of courage to take that step as your very first um, picture? You're talking about Son of Soul being the first feature? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I felt the, the urge to, to do it, although I had Sunset in me before Son of Soul, so these were parallel in a way. Um, but um, I, I guess I, I wanted to, you know, also through family stories, just the, the Holocaust was so present and, and I guess a sense of history was very present in my life as a kid already. Mm -hmm. So I guess that uh, the sense of history or how, you know, how history is not only just you know, something remote, but something that's very much in the very, you know, texture of events or very, you know, in the very, um, uh, in the here and now. That's that's something that I guess was very important for me. And I, I, I wanted to, I also wanted to, um, you know, re react in a way to what I felt as a sort of, um you know, mis misperception, misrepresentation of, of, of well, but broadly history, that's also some, something that Sunset says, but in Son of Saul, of the, of the concentration camp and the Holocaust, mm. something that's always, and it was communicated by cinema in a very, you know, very sharp way, something always along the paradigm of the surviving uh, the surviving and not never the dead in a way you know dead oh people die but that's collateral uh what uh, so I, I was always interested in in the in the rule the rule was death and not and not survival and i guess i we were here with Geza three years ago oh, yeah, uh, and yeah, we talked right. about that that's right yeah. and to what extent uh um the the paradigm of survival this defined uh the post-work uh, conception of the Holocaust and also artistic representation. Mm. And I think it also, it was something done to reassure ourselves as mm -hmm. a civilization of the post-war period to, to say that, uh, um, you know, bad things happen, but now we have to move on. But we, I, I was very much, uh, 
you know, it, I, rebel, I, I, I think it was a rebellion against that conception and the fact that, you know, when you go and see Holocaust movies, you most of the time it's, it's, it's not only the survival, it's also about, uh, you know, the, the point of view of, um, of God or our point of view of, of, of in worst cases, the point of view of, of the, of the uh, perpetrators. You know, when you when you analyze those films, you right. see, oh, we, we have a general view of the camp. I mean, what what kind of point of view can it be? Is it a bird or is it a, like a guard uh, look overlooking uh, the prisoners? This kind of you know jumping around with you know with the, the angles of vision in the camp is extremely problematic morally, I think, mm -hmm. and it definitely not doesn't say anything about the human suffering inside. Mm -hmm. And I think if we don't understand the human suffering and we cannot you know with, with the audiences through the audiences communicate or understand make understand the suffering uh, there's no possibility to uh, to really have a relation to to events like that and yeah. to our own history and to ourselves so it's I, yeah. I guess both of the films are about relationship to ourselves yeah, a relationship to ourselves and and to history. I mean, it's interesting because you're 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 trying to change or trying to you know change the way we view history, but by adopting um, not a naive viewpoint, but definitely a, a more realistically kind of constrained viewpoint. So it's it's an interesting approach. I mean, it's it's almost something you see more in in, in literature, you know, where someone's writing from a very naive perspective or something. I, I don't know why why you call it naive. Maybe yeah, I'm well, not, I mean, I'm, I'm I mean not naive, thinking it as a No, not naive like as um, a ignorant criticism, but, but just in a, in a strict sense of like the uh, voice, you know, um uh, just I would say constrained and subjective, basically. But, yeah, yeah. I, I, maybe, maybe it's yeah. archaic or primitive or very restrained. The thing is that, uh, and I'm not against naive. It just yeah. struck me as an yeah. interesting idea. I don't never thought about it. Uh, the thing is that I really believe that, uh, and 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 I am a little bit of a rebel. I guess I don't want to yeah. say that as a sort of, you know, brand. But I I really believe that. You know, as filmmakers, we have to uh, we have to question what what their representations and representational strategies are, especially yeah. uh, in cinema. And I am very much appalled at the you know the the, the way period films are usually built up and yeah. the way they are you know stories are told yeah. and and. You know, I'm 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 just saying it's always the same. It's always the same. Why right. is it always, uh, or more and more like um, like a sports game? You know, the, the camera being always right. at the right time in the right place. Yeah. Why is it uh, a sort of objective uh, mm -hmm. point of view? And uh, I'm not saying all the time, but yeah, yeah. it's very very defining. And yeah. more and more with the advent of, well, let's say the the um uh the the, the sort of uh, the, the power that uh, television and and internet have achieved having over uh, cinema uh the whole nar narration uh of um the narration strategy uh in a way has become extremely standardized 
Uh, and that's that's something that we never point out. And I, I really want to when if if you would you know if we 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 watched uh, yeah. uh, not not the excerpts from my movie, but ex mm. you know extracts from movies that are so called period films. I I would definitely point out what kind of uh, you know uh, what kind of strategies uh, are uh, there and and they are they repeat themselves. They never. Um, they never uh, let anything to the audience. Never, mm -hmm. never uh, rely on the imagination of the viewer, and never uh, uh, question the the um, the sort of uh, uh, dogma of of representation of events. And I think that's something that that we we end up with with audiences less and less questioning the way films are made. Yeah. In a way, 50 years ago, people were more uh, aware of that. And I, I yeah. think there's a clear regression, mm -hmm. a clear regression in that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I mean, um, the, the what's interesting is, is that when, when you resist the omniscient view, you know, you, uh, you actually maybe learn more about the actual workings of, of history, because there's a lot of mystery mm -hmm. in how things happen. It's not, mm -hmm. it's not always a clear cause and effect. Yeah. That's an order that we put on later. Mm -hmm. um, and I mean, you mean, you mean if, yeah. if a film that takes place in history, mm -hmm. uh, adopts a sort of omniscient view, then mm -hmm. it allows a sort of, uh, very clear path to the understanding of the circumstances it, of, of, of it, the film. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it pretends to give you a clear yeah, path, yeah, but yeah. it doesn't. It's not necessarily. Yeah, yeah but yeah. in in a way, it's also because we are more yeah. and more interested in uh, the the social political approach to mm -hmm. uh, to one given period. Yeah, and I think that's also something that that was reduced in a way. You know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's not about the atmosphere or the the resonances. Yeah. Of a given period, but more about. I, I'm not. I'm not saying it's bad to have a political historical film. It's just. I'm just saying it. It's. There's, sort of also standardization in the in yeah. that regard. Yeah, definitely. Um, now, I mean, one one of, along these lines, what's what's distinctive about both your films is the way you use the camera um, and the sound design, um, and I mean, you have a very mobile handheld camera work where the backgrounds are often left kind of blurry or just, oh geez yeah. are you gonna <laughs> we I'm don't want you to die it's supposed to be a director's <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> um we can switch it was that no i'm always yeah. like that I'm moving all the time so okay <laughs> all right um um yeah i mean you have a very mobile uh camera and this is a handheld camera you have it in sunset um and how did you how do you create your like technique um what, actually what it reminds me of the shoot you know that's why oh, really? it makes me unco uncomfortable you know the shoot, we're trying to they have these kind of things and yeah. oh my god what is gonna be <laughs> this is horrible you know? where am i heading now yeah well, uh you know we're talking about camera movements camera movements yeah, yeah yeah well you have to get up and move around yeah. we, can, we can circulate in the crowd we actually wanted for this film to be not to be not to do, not to do that. We wanted to move away from handheld. We wanted to do this okay. film to be a dolly dolly film or more okay. like a um, uh, very fluid film. But we couldn't couldn't make it because 
because the way we intended to 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 be present, you know, the, the camera always mm -hmm. very, I mean, the, the point of view being very present to the yeah uh, very close to the main character, we could not achieve that. Yeah, yeah, and that that's why we had to switch back to handheld, handheld. and we also wanted the widescreen on anamorphic, and it just turned out that we're not. We didn't like the format for the movie. It, yeah. it seemed too wide, too, too epic in the wrong sense. Although I love epic, it's just that it just didn't fit. Yeah, I mean, for one thing, if you had, you know, dollying shots, you'd have to have all these tracks all over the place and constantly. Well, yeah, that's right. the thing. We have yeah. some of those, uh, but even even if it's a, you know, it's a crane shot, the operator is sitting on a. You know, on a platform, and is, is the camera still in a way handheld? So the the mm -hmm. the, the I, I think we, I wanted to be very close to the main character, and and for that, the, the, unfortunately, dollies are when when it's in and out on different you know surfaces, you cannot really achieve that. Mm -hmm. uh, so that that was a technical yeah. technical issue. Uh, you know, having. Uh, you know consequences yeah. you know, and in the apparatus uh, or or the the uh, the outcome of yeah yeah and i mean what's what was the origin of this camera technique for you uh, i mean were you were you looking at um you know documentary verite you know like i don't know you know pennebaker moving around or were you looking at uh you know um, miklos yangso moving with his tracking shots and thing you know giving you a in media res look at history like when you were first you know putting this technique together what were your origins i, I don't like handheld camera i, mm -hmm. I have to say um <laughs> although i made two films with entirely <laughs> handheld cameras um <laughs> you heard it but, here first yeah but uh <laughs> the thing is i really like what what we what we really strive to do is with uh, the DOP and the camera operators to really have the the, the, the shots as as steady as possible. When you know it, the, 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 the handheld camera has been around in a very fashionable way for a few decades uh, in in mainstream cinema, but they also have to have this urge to move it. Right. You know, they have like to shake the it, tremble, you know yeah. the trembling effect. You know, the make make it tremble. You know, like make it very. The urgency should be there. Uh, you should feel the caramel like yeah, shaking, like shaking or yeah, having yeah. some nervous uh, <laughs> issues, um, neurological, I would say. Um, but uh, I, I'm definitely against it. We 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 actually went to. Um, to see Garrett Brown, who was the inventor of the Steadicam, and I was so interested in having a Steadicam, in, but I don't like the floating effect of the Steadicam. So I said to Garrett Brown, well, how do you achieve the, you know, a sort of st stiff effect in Steadicam? Because we, and I showed him Come and See by Alan Klimov, which is a sort of very, it's a, a sort of handmade Steadicam and, and, it's, it has this stiffness to it. And he said, there's no way, or, I mean, he didn't see any possibilities to to do that anymore. Uh, it's not possible. He said, so we should, we should not, it's not Steadicam. And I, so I was stuck. I was, I was, as I said to myself, okay, there's no, and to this DOP, there's no, 
if we want to have something mobile and and very um, you know moving with the main character sort of almost like uh, someone accompanying the main character then we have to have uh, a handheld but that th th with an operator doesn't that doesn't have neurological issues <laughs> so you need a very steady hand you don't yeah, need I think that's that that's what yeah. we, we we wanted to yeah. really with yeah. a steady uh, steady-handed uh, handheld okay <laughs> um, well this is probably a good moment to maybe show show a clip sure. um, so if we could show a clip from sunset okay so that's one of the most uh, um, classical uh, let's say uh, part of the of the movie yeah so that's that's a scene where <clears throat> Iris um, the main character has a uh, is finally getting to talk to the current owner of, of the hat store. Um, could, could you talk a bit about the, the staging of that scene? It's, it's really elegantly choreographed when you're following her point of view and she picks up a photo and then you hold the camera and in the background, um, Vlad Ivanov, usually known as the villain in Romanian films, um, appears behind. So it's, it's, it's very perfectly choreographed. Well, it's... Uh, um... It, it is the first time that she comes in, the, in, the, in this place, which is the, the hat store and the apartment of the, her parents, and someone else is here. So the, the, um, I always approach this film as almost like a tale, you know, uh, the, the, the young girl uh, coming through the, you know, uh, um, the, the, the hunger and the forest in a way and and and, the, and 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 this kingdom is now ruled by someone else and you know what she then then before so uh it, it is actually we we try to keep it very very low-key and very um very simple just really keep the importance of faces you know as much as possible uh and also keep the fact that there's a there's a distance it, it always keep the, the the distance the logics of distance so if we we are with her and so the, he is at a certain distance and respect that you know and never try to cheat that there's something also that's really most of the time in films we cheat you go for the for the close-up when there's no way the close-up is should be there, right. yeah. And and then I I, uh, uh, I well the, the scene didn't go you know further, but then we actually earned the close-up of 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 the guy uh, Mr. Brill. When once it's you know it becomes significant you know, uh, and uh, and also we we actually. It it was one of the closest close up on on Iris, and one of our, you know, uh, it's 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 very tight on her, and we really wanted to have this sort of uh, very 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 um, we yeah, have this very strong, the, her very strong presence should be uh, should be on screen, uh, and not uh, you know. So that that was very important to to have this closeness. Yeah, I mean, the, the, it seems so close. It's one of the moments where we get closest to her private 
space in a way you know it, it just her pri private thoughts in a way yeah and also yeah. she's she seems to be very fragile and very innocent and that's something that's be that's that will be questioned what questioned throughout the film yeah uh, and that's that's something that really interested me in having this uh, uh you know very very simple frail representation of the main character at the beginning yeah, yeah. Uh, could could you talk about how how you found or chose this cast, this actress, uh, Yuli Lak? Uh, she was in Son of Soul. Uh, she was. Uh, I knew her from before. Um, I guess in Hungary, everybody knows everybody, so that's not even <laughs> you know, it's like a village. But um, uh, but we have an extent. We had an extensive casting process. We didn't. We, we even had a. a you know, it, it, we spent like a year on that. We we, we did, you know we we looked at many many people, and we just ended up with with someone who was in Son of Soul. But I I I gave, you know, I gave myself the possibility of not taking her. But at the end, it just became evident that she had this strange vibration in herself that are beyond beyond her control. And there is a secret that's beyond her in a way. That's also there's also something ominous in the in the frailty and fragility of her character. The, and these are genuine things, and then it's not separable from her character. So I guess that was very important. So yeah. to to choose someone who was already in a way unsettling, and and ominous in her uh, in her innocence. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a couple moments later in the movie where, yeah, I don't want to give it away for anyone who's seen it, but you kind of wonder about about her her background her, and what she's capable of. Um, exactly. Yeah, uh, you just mentioned that uh, Hungary is kind of a small world uh, in terms of knowing people. I, I'm, I'm I just want to jump back a bit in your biography. I guess you you studied a bit with uh, with Bellatar, right, or worked a bit with him. I I, were, I was his assistant for yeah. a few years. Uh, on the man from London, uh -huh, uh -huh. And, with Tilda uh, Swinton, that's the one, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, and it was uh, for my film school, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And and did you feel a need when you were you know coming up with your own approach, your own style, to kind of like really forge your own path, uh, or or yeah? Uh, well, it's it's half conscious, but I think. Uh, what I wanted really is to find my own voice, and for that I needed time. You know, I sometimes people are pushed to to make their films very early on, and I and and sometimes they have this push in themselves to to make the film very early on, and I think that might be uh, a problem. Yeah. That might be also, um, uh, you know, if you don't give yourself enough time. To, to have a, a thinking process and, and really understand what it means to make a film and the responsibilities of making a film. What, if, that you need thoughts, not only ideas, you need thoughts. If you don't have thoughts, you only have ideas, you're, you're in, you're in a, a, I think you're in danger. And I think that's something that's, uh, that I, in, in a very, conscious way the way i read you know about films filmmakers about you know how to establish a scene how to how to you know film analysis or or um, uh, 
or books like that uh, on film history and I uh, although I didn't read everything by far from it I at least I tried to find a way to what what I liked what you know talked to me what what was what were what was important and I think that's in in in, in the in the path of filmmaker of uh, a starting filmmaker that's very important to find first of all uh, a process to find thoughts and and that I, I I know it seems very obvious, but it's not because I have to say most of the films do not have thoughts, and uh, and also the, maybe find a master, which is very mm-hmm. I mean I would always tell uh, an aspiring filmmaker to go to 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 work with someone who they respect, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and they could uh, learn from from them, and I and I'm sure. Uh, that's something that there's the idea of a transmission that you're not alone. You're not that I know that's what film schools tell you, tell you today. It's mm-hmm. that your film history has started with you and will end with you. But I think it's an incredible lie and it's, it's, it's also mm-hmm. very narcissistic and it creates narcissism and it creates films that are centered around the filmmaker Whereas I think films are bigger than the makers of, of, and I think films tend to, you know, grow beyond the possibilities and the realm of one filmmaker. Um, And I mean, in terms of transmission, I, I, do you, do you feel a a kind of lineage with, with, uh, with, I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing it, but yeah. with Miklos Yangso at all, or uh, um, because you both have a very specific, very um, deep interest in mm-hmm. history and how to portray that, and then he also uses kind of um, tracking shots, and sometimes it's a bit enigmatic what's going on. I don't know. Yeah, it's very. Um, he's, he was a great master of Hungarian cinema and world cinema, I guess. You know, uh, uh, the Roundup. That's called in English. Yeah. It's I, I think. One of the Hungarian film Hungarian films that really made a great impression on me, and you couldn't feel the sort of uh, ideological drive that you could you can feel in other films of his, and I, I, I that was really good to to have this this sense of liberty uh, that he had, and I think he was very inventive and he knew how to use craft and how to use his crew in his actors in a very clever way, but he was very, you know, it's very dominating in a way. It's good. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's very, very forceful. And, and, uh, he knows exactly, you know, he, he doesn't try to, you know, he sticks to his plan. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess yeah, there's a tradition I guess in Hungarian cinema. I don't know if I'm part of, part of it, but I I was very in, interested in also what Bela did in mm-hmm. in in most of his films. This the, the, what he calls the process, you know, what yeah. he, when you go into the very the details and the the here and now of his main characters, how to share space and time with the main characters. Something that's very interesting, and I I think. Uh, you know, uh, uh, a lot of films from Mexicans, Mexican directors, and I really think that Cuaron and and um, Inarritu, I really think that they they took interesting things from Yoncho. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, he's a big influence on a lot of people. I, I, yeah, yeah, I think it, yeah. it made a lot of impression. Yeah, yeah definitely. Uh, I mean, it's interesting. 
the Red and the White, another another Yangsha film that, that takes place a few years after sunset. In a, right? Uh, I think it does, right? Does oh, it? yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's yeah. with yeah, yeah. The end of the 1910s, yes. Yeah, 1910s. But uh, that that that's a great film, and it, it, I feel it just it, to the the presence of the the party a little bit too much. Oh. In the, film. <laughs> the presence of the party, that's kind of been a, a specter for 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 some of your life, right? Because you grew up partly. Yes, yeah. I I I mean, I you know, I I remember. <laughs> I grew up in. Uh, I was still, uh, you know. Uh, I was in in school when I in the eighties, and I remember the, the things that were not so good. Yeah. And 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 my my parents were very against the system, so I also have sort of uh, uh, this uh, this strong background in me. You know, uh, you cannot. You have. I mean, there's a very strong anti-totalitarian. You know. Uh, feeling in me i guess yeah, and yeah. and and i cannot uh, i cannot uh, obviously forget uh, what uh, what hungary went through uh, for, during 40 years of communism yeah. and 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 what it did yeah. that we can feel until today yeah uh, i th i think everyone should have a healthy anti-totalitarian feeling it's a good this is a good yeah, this is good thing. model if, if you're anti yeah, if you're anti-nazi i mean you should be anti-communist i mean there's no rule about there's no mm -hmm. there's no way around it mm -hmm. there's no way around it and the other way around either so yeah and for sunset uh i mean it's interesting to think about uh that setting because it's you know it's before World War One and it's you know also before you know so Soviet uh, you know rule domination and so when you look back at that time period in this film, are you looking at that time period with a, a kind of regret or a kind of just a wonder about what happened? Um, I, I I both I think mm -hmm. uh, I I am. Um... When I walk today in Budapest, I can see the ruins of a, of, of a civilization that was destroyed very clearly. And it's still being destroyed. You know, in the last 20 years, it was even more destroyed than during the 40 years before. Uh, it's devastating. And I was really, you know, I'm very interested in how cities are made. And I, I guess um, urban landscapes. And, uh, and you can feel the, you can feel people you know the people who were built these cities, and and Budapest was a city full of, full of promise at the end of at the, at the at the at the turn of the century, and incredible sophistication, incredible um, uh, mixture of cultures and 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 languages, and uh, and uh, you know you couldn't go through uh, a street be you know without hearing. German and Yiddish and 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 Polish and uh, Serbian and Hungarian, so it's 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 crazy. It was it was a very uh, very strong. In a way, it was a, a, a sort of Europe that was destroyed. It's an idea of a Europe that was destroyed that we, we unfortunately we will never have because. You know, with with uh, with the first and second world war and the redistribution and re, um, uh, how do you say that re um, reshaping of of, yeah. of, 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 of the, the frontiers maps. and the maps and and populations. Be you know, everybody you know should be 
you know, all the all the nations should be should be alone in a way. Should all you know, they they should be ethnically clean, right. and that's. I'm sorry. No, no. I mean, it's true. Everything gets isolated. Yeah, ethnically yeah. isolated in a yeah. way. So it's yeah. very. It's a, it's it's a sort of um, um, uh, regressed, regressive uh, version, uh, a destroyed version of an idea of Europe that was actually existed before first world war and that's what we lost and i i am uh, in this in this respect i am very uh, full of um, full of nostalgia i guess uh, to 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 the spirit uh, and I, I and there's a mystery to what happened and to what extent in in the heart of civilization there is a, a need a desire to, to to undo itself to, to to commit suicide and that's what's something that I I feel more and more on a on a personal level in my reflections to what happens in in, in the history of mankind this sort of idea of a pro, of a straight progress doesn't make uh, always sense to me and I, I feel that it's it's a sort of cyclical cyclical movement and um and yeah so that's i guess yeah. these are these are th thoughts that are in the film yeah i mean that's it's very obviously very interesting watching this film now when there's the world feels in a state of uncertainty and shifts in governments and that sort of thing and, and ideologies kim stim and the beijing contemporary art foundation are proud to present the late chinese filmmaker hu bo's critically acclaimed an elephant sitting still an intimate and empathetic portrait of four desperate individuals seeking to escape a small city left behind in China's booming economy. The film invokes the works of such cinematic masters as Bella Tarr, Zha Zhenke, and Ho Shen. A New York Times critic's pick, An Elephant Sitting Still was hailed by the New Yorker's Richard Brody as one of the great achievements of recent cinema. Now playing at the Film Society of Lincoln Center and at the Quad Cinema starting March 15th. Columbia University's annual Kit Film Noir Festival presents... Into the Night, a retrospective of 12 films adapted from the work of mystery writer Cornell Woolrich. Woolrich wrote the source material for Hitchcock's Rear Window, Truffaut's The Bride Wore Black, Jacques Turner's The Leopard Man, and numerous B-pictures. Many films will screen on 35mm and be accompanied by introductions and Q&As with critics, scholars, and filmmakers. The festival runs March 27th to the 31st at Columbia's Lenfest Center for the Arts. Visit arts.columbia.edu slash noir for details. Um, I want to make sure the audience has, has a chance to ask some questions. Um, there's a lot to chew over here. Um, any... All right, here in the front. Uh, something we're not hearing as much in these talks, at least, is the fact that you, one, choose 35 millimeter film to shoot on and hopefully project on, but also that you use no CGI at all in recreating Budapest at this time, and that you actually rebuilt what you needed to rebuild. That's really fascinating, and the fact is also with both films, we're so immersed in these worlds. You bring us right into them along with these people. Uh, I'm just curious as far as sunset goes, what was one of your more magnificent sets that you built that we're seeing in the movie that we're just watching and not really realizing the amount of physical labor that went in to create that? Well, I think you, it's, it's the school of Belatar. When you put effort in a movie, you always feel it in a way or another. That's something that, uh, that comes out in, 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 uh, unconsciously, I think, in, uh, in the way it is shared with the, the audience. 
what I have to say, we we uh, we built uh, inside of a city uh, on a vacant lot the uh, the hat store itself, and that hat store uh, and the sides of the uh, of this little square that was in the middle in front of the hat store. I think that's the that was the main set and the main uh, um, uh, for a big budget movie it wouldn't be a big deal but for us it definitely was and and uh, it uh, you know it it created a sort of uh, blending into the very environment of the uh, of the, of the of the hat store that we uh, were looking for and um, well you can't always go to the with that kind of budget, you can't always go to the to to, um, to all the refinement that you really really want. Unfortunately, because it just becomes too complicated. But we definitely wanted to cre to to create a, uh, a very a very fine um, world to reflect um, to 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 show this um, this incredible this sumptuous. Um, world uh, the world of uh, a world of illusions let's put it that way um, another question and i'm glad you mentioned 35 obviously yeah. it is it, it is on 35 it, it is and, and then i read in the press notes that the final sequence is actually is it shot on different yeah. stock uh, yeah the final sequence is on 65 millimeter although the the funny thing is when you shoot on 65 and you go through a computer to downgrade it to 35 the difference is not that visible i always prefer an optical solution to that because i really think that the optical things are are much more powerful uh but in in the name of regression of the pseudo uh, digital revolution you don't do that or almost don't do that anymore uh, and i really think that we're we're um, these are this is the strength of cinema you know the, the, the this this physical chemical side of cinema this is something that that should be the defense of cinema against uh uh you know television and internet the way they are they operate and it seems that nobody else uh says that or almost nobody else says that so we're we talked about it we did, yeah. chris nolan yeah, says that you gotta hang out with chris nolan um i saw a hand go up over there um i have a question for you regarding your q a few days ago at the screening I was struck by the comment when you said, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, let's not turn um, cinema into a journalism. And um, can you, I'm very curious about what, can you talk more about it? Do you notice it a lot? Do you, are you very self-aware when you're making film not to turn it into a historical journalism or something like that? Yeah, I have this. Well, maybe it's not my role to say that, but where are the <laughs> film critics who say that? So I wonder. Now. Um, the it, thing is that I, I, I give you permission. What I give you permission as a film critic. <laughs> okay, for this time, but then you, you know, someone has to take over. Uh, I really believe that uh, uh, we don't even see it. We don't even see the signs of it. But the films are more and more about subjects and not 
you know, and not about thoughts, and not about human experience. Human experience is fine if it's a social experience, but it's not the only way human experience should be defined. Uh, when you go into commission in Europe to uh, what kind of projects are uh, are um, uh, supported, or I guess when you go to festival commissions, to what kind of films they want to show, or, or when you go to juries in festivals, what kind of films are going to get the awards, or you go to uh film critics and you see what kind of films get you know the most praises i have i cannot help but see the tendency to more and more to to to, to see subjects you know we're talking about subjects and not films or not you know it has to be a subject you know and i i uh, you know, and it starts with the commissions or or the financiers and um, and I'm not a film historian, but I I I feel that more and more we're detaching ourselves from from any other perception of human rea reality uh, than the social economical perception. You know, sort of we have to give you know all all the so all, all the all the groups that exist in 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 the world voice in a way these are you 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 please all the all the groups or you i think you think you've pleased all the groups but in 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 the, in the process you 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 really lose um the heart of human experience because it's not not only about money you know the human experience not only about hardships it's not only about that there's there's something else there's so, so i think there are more metaphysical things more you know uh and 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 there's a there's i think there's a very strong tendency to to um to approach it that way and then when it comes to filmmaking you can see that films more and more I've been to a few juries, so I can tell you that, but I cannot generalize, but that's that's what my feeling is a subjective feeling, but it's a feeling uh, based on many films that I've seen uh, that that films are made in a way that uh, they build up uh, a construct. They are a construct of of some kind of you know some kind of discourse. I feel more and more. It's sometimes it's misery cinema, sometimes it's I don't know what. It's uh, when we go back to history, it's we have to give all the important historical facts as if we wanted to guide through the audience some kind of very important uh, postcard effect of uh, oh this happened here in Sarajevo. Uh, the Archduke was killed in 1914, and then the guy comes running. The Archduke is killed. So, <laughs> and then what's we gonna what we gonna do? Or right. or Poland is invaded. Oh my God! I mean, this is not how things happen in life. Uh, yeah. This is how we think things happen in life, and I, what what I think is cinema. The people who make cinema, and the people who make cinema, more and more are vomited f from film schools all over the world. And uh, I was there, and 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 the way 
and the way they are predisposed to approach to you know censor themselves to 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 you know format themselves to talk about issues that are extremely reduced you know as opposed to you know human experience uh, what can i say in an italian uh, um, i don't know italian filmmakers from the 60s certainly were in the in the social world but at the same time they were they were reaching beyond that even if you were you know reaching you know for the, for the social economic even if you're talking about money you know i don't just nice yeah. of kabiria that i really like uh -huh. you know you certainly talk about money but in a way you talk about something that goes far beyond that in a way we are reducing ourselves and formatting ourselves and formatting the way we we we, we communicate with the audience in a way that's that's about um facts and 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 a sort of you know uh, a sort of uh begging for compassion and and uh, and i don't think it's true and i don't think it's real i don't think it's honest i think it's it's about uh, it's about what we want people to think that we as filmmakers want to want to achieve and 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 I, in the sense i receive the the fact that film schools are are made that way the way they are not transmitting and not open to thoughts but to uh something else uh i find it really really uh appalling yeah um but i could go on for hours but i will not <laughs> i will not well, this, this kind of reminds me of another question I wanted to ask. Um, I mean, when you won the Academy Award, when, when Son of Soul won the Academy Award, uh, what, what sort of offers did you get for projects where you offered you know, specific projects? Just, just one. I don't know. <laughs> just uh, tell us one. Uh, Second World War? Uh, to read, I don't know, films on, you know, Eichmann. Um, like a biopic uh, or something? Or? Bi uh, no, some well, Nazi films, um, Jews, um, <laughs> um, Nazis. <laughs> And so on. Uh, so the thing is that um, very reduced, you know. Right. I mean, not 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 that I, uh, but you know, yeah. I, I I don't want to be that, you know, pigeonholed. You yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. want to do that. Yeah, of course. Um, I think uh, it doesn't mean that I'm not interested in the Second World War. It just that, you know. Yeah. Um, so I think we have time for maybe one more question. Uh, hi. Um, uh, thanks so much for your films. Uh, so it's really amazing for me. Um, uh, I'm in film school. <laughs> uh, but I do very much agree with what you're saying about uh, focusing too much on content. Uh, but I guess I wonder, and I feel like so many of the things that endure are really so much more true and uh, trying to engage with something much beyond the specific context in which they're made. But I guess... Uh, as somebody is trying to do that, or for all of us, um, 
but who also is concerned about justice and politics and everything that's going on in the world. I mean, I guess I wonder. Then you, do you have to become a politician. <laughs> I, I went to political science school. No, no, I, I want you to go on. Just want to tell oh, you, right. I went to political science school. So right. I, I, I uh, it's very tempting to become a politician, I guess, but that's a different trajectory. Yeah, I guess I just meant, um, you know, how do you, how do you, I mean, is it possible to make political movies that are true? Is it possible to make things that engage in both ways? I mean, I don't know a lot of examples, frankly, that I think really, really work, but I just, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that. Well, um... I mean, it's interesting because you're, 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 as a filmmaker, you're very aware of ideology. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I am very, very aware and very, uh, I can feel ideology because it's, it's a dogmatic thing and it's coming, always coming back and it's very present, you know, from all sides, from the left and from the right and it's very, very present and uh, I, I don't, I, I, it's really hard to make, you know, good films that are political films, I guess. And what would, what does one call political film in a way? Uh, yeah, yeah I, I guess it's not only about films about elections or no, it's a, uh, uh, issue, issue driven film or uh, no, but he, he was more justice. specific. It's, it, it's about, you justice. know, talking about justice in, in the world, but, um, I think you, you have to, I, I I I think if you don't have a metaphysical layer to your film, uh, then it's it's it can be if you it can be it can go on CNN. I mean, just it's that's different. It's journalism or 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 engaged journalism, which is also a problematic for me because I think journalism should not be engaged. Uh, um, but. I, I think our, our, you know, we have a responsibility to the viewer. My, our, my responsibility to the viewer is not my responsibility to tell him what to do and what tell him uh, that this and that, or you know, I don't know, to give 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 a recipe. My my responsibility is take is is, is take the viewer on a journey and and try to make them think and feel. And and know exactly where it can lead lead them, so that's that is responsibility. And if this is not, I guess, if this is not uh, in the reflection of a filmmaker, uh, if things are done for you're just to please festivals, and more and more that's the case, uh, then we're we're in a bad place as filmmakers and and as a society too, I guess. So it's also it's also about the freedom of of the of of the filmmakers right. to what extent they are free, because they I I think they're in in a world of freedom where everything can be expressed. Um, then they're not free in a way. I think I really believe in the limitations that we can put ourselves. Um, in, into the work that will make us, you know, that will make, we try to push uh, off the boundaries. We try to, 
we try to struggle with the material, but we don't, you know, that's, that's the process. And then, you know, well, it might be, yeah. I have become more too abstract. So, no. <laughs> well, I mean, it sounds like you want a, a freedom of not just what you're talking about, but how you're talking about it and how people think and view it. And that that's comes out, I think in both these films that you don't want people to be comfortable about how they're seeing what they're seeing. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, sometimes it scares when I do these films, especially Sunset, with too much freedom for the for the viewer, you know, of interpretation. That's something that scares them because they don't want to be free, you know, in their interpretation. They come to me and ask for a manual, and it's no disrespect because I can. I they grew up on films that you know they always give them, the, you know, the all the limits of the path that they are going through you know the path is very well defined and that's also something that i have um we talked about you know the, the, this 50 years ago it would have been right. a more yeah. you know the audience would have been more accepting of a narrative i'm not talking about like experimental cinema i'm talking about narrative cinema of the of the, of the freedom that the, the filmmaker the filmmakers is, is is taking and it's not a freedom of being you know shocking you know it's not the freedom of it's easy to shock you know it's easy to shock with more violence more sex or more this is not the freedom i'm talking about that's that's pseudo freedom you know it's it's about and you know questioning the grammar of cinema how you, how you how you communicate with the audience and what kind of relationship you have with the audience, and what kind of relationship the audience with the with the with the, with the, with the character, with the characters. Well, that seems like a good point. Rusted. Okay, I, 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 everybody's asleep now, or, <laughs> or something else. And I almost fell off the chair as well. Um, so it's a good moment to conclude before anyone hurts themselves. Um, but Laszlo, thank you so much for a wonderful discussion. Thank you. Thanks. You've been listening to the Film Comment Podcast with music by Greg Einge. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. Film Comment is a bi-monthly magazine published by the Film Society of Lincoln Center. Since 1962, Film Comment has featured in-depth features, critical analysis, and feature coverage of mainstream, art house, and avant-garde filmmaking from around the world. Visit us online at filmcomment.com to purchase a print or digital subscription to Film Comment or check out our app, available on Android, iOS, or Kindle.